it's interesting because my boyfriend had brought the show up like a few like before I had, we'd started rewatching it and I was like talking about like going out or something and he's like you can't do that I know what happens to guys like you I've seen queer as folk and I just thought that was so funny I texted my friend immediately I was like Charles just said this Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon and join either the ITBR student or the ITBR professor level. Both levels of membership have a seven-day free trial. With the ITBR professor level, you also not only get access to all of our video episodes, like listening or watching Scream Part 2, you also get access to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia book clubs. The book clubs are going to each be a one-hour private Zoom. I'm hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Mary DePippi's hosting the True Crime and Academia ones. So if the ITBR professor level, you get access to all of our video and audio episodes plus our book clubs. And make sure you download the Patreon app on your phone for such an accessible, easy-to-use way to consume our content. Okay, can't wait to see you all on Patreon. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And before you hear such an exciting episode, I want to remind you all that when I'm not here hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, I am running my small business, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, where I am consulting with clients. It includes academic writing, consulting, social media, podcast, and expanding your media footprint. So I have clients I'm working on graduate school writing with them. I can work on thesis writing, dissertation writing, essay advice, college admission essays, undergrad uh, college advice, graduate school advice. I also am working on a client's small business right now and expanding her social media footprint. I can work on how to create a podcast with you or how to expand your podcast audience. I also can just help you expand your media footprint in general. 
So if you're interested in my consulting, I first want to let you all know it is only $30 for the first hour that I work with you on consulting, and then I'll set up a package with you then. So you can email me at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com, or you could go to our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash ivorytowerboilerroom, and there's a consulting option under mem memberships. You can pay the $30 and then I will reach out to you right away and we'll set up a consultation. And then while you're on our Patreon, make sure you join the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and the True Crime and Academia Book Club. Every month, both myself and Mary are choosing books for our book club members to read. And we are actually polling our members on Patreon to see what books they want to read. And we're meeting with them the first week of each month. So if you want to join um, the book club each month, just make sure that you join on Patreon. That way I know who's joined and I can reach out to all of you and let you know when we're meeting on Zoom. Okay, so lots of things to do here in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and I can't wait to consult with you, join you for a book club discussion, and have you here listening to one of our podcast episodes. Okay, enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby. Welcome back to the ITBR Rewatches Queer as Folk, episode four. Uh, just a reminder before I introduce my exciting guest here today, um, episode three, if you haven't listened to it, uh, it's out. Um, that was called uh, No Brist, No Shirt, No Service. And episode four is called Ted's Not Dead. Uh, it aired on December 17, 2000 in the United States um, and was written by Richard Kramer and directed by Kevin Inch. So I'll read the synopsis when my guest joins me, but I'm so excited because my guest here is someone who I've always looked to on social media, Joe Nasta, who is a queer writer uh, who I've learned is a mariner, um, who's based in Seattle, Washington. And I know that Joe's going to open up regarding the work um, that I think your pronouns, we should get into it just because I'm even thinking, Joe, how do I, you know, use the correct pronouns? But those pronouns are Z and Zer. So would it be their work that you do? Yeah, Zer work. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, I'm reframing my mind here. Um, but what work are you currently doing? Because I know you're working in an exciting zine um, environment. Yeah. Um, so I curate a zine. It's just a digital zine. It's called Stone Pacific. Um, StonePacificZine.com. Uh, we just seek to highlight unconventional artists and writers. Um sometimes with ties to the Pacific Northwest, but also from all over the world and just give um, space for people to uh, feature their work, uh, writing and and different types of art. So it's cool. Yeah. Well, and Joe has an MFA um, no, or I you don't... started your MFA. <laughs> yeah, I started my MFA, but I dropped out. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you dabbled in an MFA in creative writing and poetics, but Joe always is publishing poetry. Um, 
And if you want to plug your Instagram, now's a good time because so many of your poems are always featured on your Instagram. But, um, you know, Joe's work has been published in The Rumpus, Yes Poetry, Pigeonholes. Um, yeah, all over the place. So I think your Instagram is what? At... It's Rafflecopter McGee. <laughs> okay. So R-O-F-L-C-O-P-T-E-R Mickey. Okay. So Rafflecopter McGee. Um, Joe, welcome. I'm so excited to have a poetic mind. Every guest here has always been so different in Queerest Folks. So, you know, my I've had mostly queer men, but I'm expanding it to the queer like community in general. I might have a straight ally join eventually, which will be an interesting experience. Um, but first, if you could just like explain your pronouns, because I've heard of Z and Zer. I don't really know a lot about it. Like how did um, that enter into your world and like how you identify? Yeah, um, so I identify as a gender. Um... So I just kind of settled on some pronouns that were more unconventional and didn't really immediately signify a gender. Um, I mean, I present really masculine and um, in like day-to-day -day life, most people would just assume that I use he, him pronouns, which I don't really like give anyone a hard time, especially because most people aren't that familiar with like Zezer. So it's like, it's not that big a deal, but um yeah yeah no I think it's so interesting and um a good chance of just opening up about like what we get in episode four so let me read the synopsis so I always say everyone's task here I have all these notes for episode four not that every other guest didn't have an exciting episode to cover but we have a whammy and a doozy like I feel that episode four is the ultimate climax. Like we're really gearing up for a lot in this um, plot points that mm -hmm. happen in this episode. But, okay, so Ted's Not Dead, which I think is just an interesting title for the episode um, because I feel like there's so much more going on than just that title. Um, so it says, while Ted lies in a drug-induced coma, Brian learns he's named the executor of, of his friend's living will. Also, Justin's mother suspects the truth about her, about her son's sexuality. And Michael and Emmett try to remove incriminating evidence from Ted's apartment, but discover Ted's longtime crush on Michael. Okay, so that's our, like, artificial intelligence, you know, basic summary. But there's so much that that summary doesn't even cover. Um, so I always ask every guest, Joe... When did you first discover the 2000 Queerest Folk? Um, so I watched it, I think, in like 2012, okay. um, which is when I was in college. So I was at the Merchant Marine Academy watching yeah, Queer. Shout out to Long uh, Island. I was in my in my um my room just watching binge watching Queerest Folk. I honestly didn't even remember that much. I've been rewatching it and I'm like, dang, like I watched all this. I don't, I have no memory. Uh, so it's been exciting to revisit it. Um, uh, especially cause I was younger than I was 18 and now I'm 29. So you definitely have a different perspective, like nine or 10 years later to, to look back on something like that. So. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm just curious, what was it like you actually um, looking at such erotic queer material at the Merchant Marine Academy? Like, were you nervous that you were watching it with all, I mean, is it still the Merchant Marine Academy? Is it still all men, male identifying people, or is it? No, so there's women. Um, I, there, I think there's been uh, female midshipmen since like the 70s. Um, okay. So it's not all men, but I mean, I had male roommates, obviously, which um, most, I mean, most people are pretty cool and don't really care what anyone else is doing. I did have like one roommate who like really was homophobic um, and would be pretty vocal about it with people. But um, for the most part, no, like everyone is really nice. And when I was there, like all the service academies were setting up like spectrum clubs. So like sort of like a a gay advocacy group for, for queer midshipmen and cadets to go to. And they even like sent us to the outserve SLDN gay military conference when it was in Disney World. So it was like a pretty it there there were a lot of efforts made to um support queer students. And you know, of course, like kids are gonna be kids. So like if people are gonna be rude or homophobic or whatever, that's something that everyone has to deal with no matter where you are. But like as an institution, it's it's not necessarily uh the worst. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and do you find that there's always the stereotype about the Navy being such a homoerotic place? I mean, it sounds like what you're saying. The Marines are pretty. I mean, I feel like most military branches, from what I've heard from those who've served. I mean, did you serve, Joe? Um, No. So uh, the Merchant Marine is different than the Marines. Uh, So it's more affiliated with the Navy. Um, So... Basically, um, I became a, a marine engineer. So I worked on like container ships, cruise ships, um, okay. and I did most of my career on um, a research vessel. And then I was in the Navy Reserve. So I never did any like active duty time. Okay. So I didn't know that the Merchant Marine then has this affiliation with the Navy. Yeah, so there's like a special part of the Navy Reserve that is all. It's called the Strategic Sea Lift Officer Program. Okay, yeah. So these are pretty brainy, whiz like, um, students at the Merchant Marine Academy. Yeah, I mean, it's a rigorous course of study. Like you go to sea for a full year, broken up, and you fit like a four or five year curriculum into essentially three years on campus. So it's a pretty intense environment. But it makes sense why it's on the Long Island Sound. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I think there's also in the Bronx, in Throgsneck, I thought there's also an academy. Yeah, SUNY Maritime. Maritime. That's the state school. So we're right across the water from them. They're like right under the Throgsneck Bridge. So from um, Kings Point, you can see the Throgsneck and you can see SUNY Maritime. There's a little, a little bit of a classic rivalry there, a little. 
Right. Yeah, a very nuanced rivalry that people yeah. who aren't who aren't in the in group don't know about. Because yeah. um, it sounds like such a specialized world. Um, but no, thank you for all that. Okay, so Joe was watching this in 2012 in your bedroom. Um, and then how long has it been since you actually returned to it? Not until you're here now on the podcast? Yeah, I just started rewatching it like last month. Um, so that's the first time I've really dived back in. Okay. So it's been 11 years. Um, okay. So we'll go through, you know, and I'm sure all of your poetic magic and voice and Mariner voice will come through in this episode, but we go, um, right away into, um, like Michael, they're all at the diner and, you know, where his mom, Debbie, works. And they're all talking about their hookups from Saturday night. And I mean, what did you think about? I always just find it so interesting, like the group of men, Michael, um, Brian and Emmett, they tend to be our Greek chorus. Like they're always just like setting the scene every episode at the beginning. And it's like Michael had a guy with beach parasites, which just sounded awful. I'm like, yeah, like there's parasites in his anus. Like, I don't really it was making me squirm. And I'm not sure um, why that guy even wanted to hook up with Michael if he had parasites inside himself, inside him. It almost sounds unreal. What I find about so many scenarios in this show is that like they all especially in early on like because this is still so early episode four mm-hmm. uh, like we're still getting to know the characters and getting to know this world that they live inside and we just are presented like non-stop with so many like fantasy-based almost unbelievable scenarios and like that's kind of what I got from this diner scene like they're looking back on their weekend they're like regrouping and they're like oh look at this like absurd situation i was in i was in a dungeon with an undertaker i was i was with the perfect man and then it turns out that he wasn't so perfect after all and it's just like it just like like really quick bursts of that right to begin the episode and then it's like debbie comes and is like shouldn't you guys be at the hospital it's like damn right back to reality so it's like right away yeah. this juxtaposition of like the fantasy and the reality of this You're queer. right. I am here with the co-owner of one of my favorite stores here in Port Jefferson Village, New York. It is called The Soapbox. So Janine said, Andrew, I have these four products you need to get your hands on. It's called Four for Fall. So she's going to go over these four products. I know first you have a soap for me. What is the soap? I, do. I have a soap for you. It is called Apple Cider Shea Butter Soap. It's by a company called Greenwich Bay. And this is a great soap because you can use it for your hands or your body. And it has a delicious apple cider scent. And I think you're actually already familiar with it. Yes, it is in my shower. I still have it. It lasts a very long time. Great lather. The lather is wonderful. It's just so luxurious. And I love the scent into November. You know, this apple cider just, it evokes so many cozy feelings. After the soap, we have something that you can add on to in the shower. So what is this? This is a wonderful, wonderful um, exfoliating shower scrub. It is by a company called Primal Almonds, and it's a sugar whip shower scrub. And the scent is pumpkin spice. It's a moisturizing sugar scrub. So it's tiny little sugar granules. 
And it's something that you would use after you shower twice a week because you don't want to strip your skin of your natural um, oils and your your moisture, but it's wonderful. It just really exfoliates all that dead skin and leaves your skin very smooth and soft from all the um, the sugar. So after I use the exfoliant right now, we need to moisturize. So yeah. I know you have a really nice fall body lotion for us. Absolutely. Um, this is just such a delicious scent. This is one of my favorites for fall. It is The scent is Orchard Breeze. And it's by a company called Michelle Design Works. Um, this is another product that you can use hand or body, hand and body. Um, it's great. You can place it um, on your vanity, just a couple of pumps for your hands or use it on your entire body. But it's shea butter based. So it's extremely moisturizing. Um, it's it's just wonderful. And the scent is just lovely. We need something more deep for our face. Everyone yes. wants face masks. And I know that you absolutely love this company and this product. This is one of my favorite masks by one of my favorite companies that we carry and we support. The company is called Farmhouse Fresh and they're right out of Texas. The mask is called Splendid Dirt and it's a nutrient rich mud mask. Um, it consists of pumpkin puree and the benefits of this mask, uh, it's a pore minimizer, a radiance booster and a skin degunker. So it's an all around great mask. If you really want a boost of radiance, it brightens your skin and it really cleanses your pores. If they live on Long Island or near Long Island, you know, what is your address uh, for them to come into the store? We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson, New York, right in the village. Um, and if you can't make it, you have to come in because we just have so much fun stuff in here. So many wonderful products. Um, but if you can't make it in, please give us a call. We're more than happy to um, ship any of these wonderful, all any of these wonderful products to you. Um, uh, call us at 631-509-1424. You could always um, reach us on Instagram at the Soapbox NY, or you could always um, check us out on our website, Soapbox NY. Um, and yeah, there's so many ways to access your so products. Ways to reach us. And Janine is more than happy. And Mariana. The other co-owner. My mom, actually. Yes. Yes, my mother. Are so willing to take your orders yes. via phone, via Instagram. And I can't wait for everyone else to enjoy these luxurious products. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic Movie, Great Movie Ride in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the great movie ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly, the list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash 
where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. Yeah, no, no, that's such a good point, Joe, because we really are like between the utopic world of like queer male sex all the time. And then, no, this is actually their reality. I mean, Brian is the one who has the most realistic scenario. He was hooking up with Justin again. And right, we get another photo or not photo. We get another shot of Gail Harold's beautiful butt. Um, And um, he's with Justin, but of course, um, the most realistic scenario isn't even discussed. Like, why do you think he's so unwilling to talk about how many times he's been with Justin? I think, well, I think we'll get some more hints about that later in the episode because it has a lot to do with Brian's Mm self-identity and also, like, the difference between what he wants and what other people want from him and what he's able to give. And he's kind of, like, having this crisis. Um which I think it comes down to to his self-identity and he doesn't want to deal with that and that crisis that he's having. So he just kind of ignores it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh, so, okay. Um, that's basically all we get at the beginning. I mean, I do love that Emmett's hookup. It's, there's like a leather play happening, but then um, like the most... Like you said, to even just shock the viewer, I think, like you're saying, they're really just trying to do a shock value at the beginning. Like, it's not the BDSM culture that's shocking, like the leather culture, which a lot of viewers, especially if they're straight, would, like, that would be so enticing to them. It's like, oh, no, he's an undertaker. Like, he's a funeral director or has some element in that world. It's like, no, not that he is about to do bondage with a couple in the morning. Like, yeah, yeah. those scenarios are always so fascinating. Um, Okay, so then we like get thrown back into um, a hospital. Like you said, we're in reality. And I found the scene with Margaret Schmidt, Ted's mother, Mm -hmm. to be a really um, well done, layered discussion, I thought. Like it really was giving us a lot of humanity in her character and her relationship with her son. You know, what did you think when she's introduced to her son's like gay male friend group? Um, It was interesting because it was like, she knew that there were these elements to Ted's life, but she never had to personally confront it or interact with it in any way. Um, which it kind of, one thing that she said, loving someone's not the same as knowing them, like Mm. she kind of has to deal with that in so many ways, which is really intense. And did you agree with her? I thought one of the most heart or gut-wrenching moments is when she turns to Michael and says, like, if he was, if my son was strayed, um, would a woman have left him in this 
drug-induced coma state, like, and not have called the um, ambulance. Mm -hmm. You know, did you, like, because I can really understand where she's coming from. It's, because it didn't read to me as homophobic. It was more like men are not looking out for other men, is what I thought she was implying um, in this sexual attitude she has. I mean, what what did you think was going on with her framing of that? I mean, I think I thought it was interesting because I've watched ahead. So I know some things that aren't revealed in this episode. So I think it's interesting that that's her assumption that he mm. was just left. Um, and I also think it's interesting that that's what the viewers led to believe that mm. Ted was just left for dead. Um, and that it's kind of like this supposedly, this supposed drug addicted character that we don't know that much about yet, who all we know has had this encounter and then supposedly left Ted for dead. Um, Cause it seems like it's not only just dumping on men, it's like specifically portraying an archetype of this like negligent drug addict who mm. would do this horrible thing. And that's what is set up for us in this episode. So it's kind of intense because that's an assumption that a lot of people have about the queer world or about mm -hmm. the gay world in specific, that like, it's all about partying. It's all about drug use. It's all about seeking pleasure. And then the consequences of that are just ignored. And that's an assumption that a lot of viewers maybe would bring to the table, just like Ted's mom did. Well, and just like me, where we connect so much, Joe, is this is why everyone needs to follow your Instagram. Joe, like myself, we love to film ourselves in nature, reading evocatively. I mean, Joe's mostly reading, you know, um, Z-Zone poetry. Uh, see, I got it, Joe. Um, reading um, like poetry you've actually written. I like to read, well, you also read other poems that have been published. That's not true. Um, and I like to read poetry in the wild and literature. And I feel that we are really emotively um, connected. Um, but I guess what I'm, I don't know why it's bothering me in this episode, or maybe it's that stereotype, like you've said, not only about drugs, but I feel like there's a statement here about men not being in touch with feelings. Like mm -hmm. that connects to Brian. Um, I feel like men and their feelings is the theme in this episode. Like men and their feelings and coming out and a mother's response to coming out. It's like you have Margaret Schmidt, Debbie, Michael's mom, and um, then Mrs. Taylor, um, Jennifer is her name. So like you have all the mothers. So it's like the mothers and then how the men connect to each other um, emotionally. Um, and I feel like each man has a really different layer of emotions. Like we're, even though Margaret, like you said, we're led to believe that a drug addict stereotype left Ted for dead. We don't, nothing is that stereotypically presented to us with the men and their actual connection to feeling. And I think for me, that is something really unique in this show because a lot of the times in like cable television or just network TV, I feel we do get more of the portrayal of, especially with straight men, 
like they're one dimensional. Like you don't have multifaceted ways of how they relate. Like, you know, even when you're creating your poetry, Joe, how do you feel you're emotionally tapping into the words that you put on the page? Like that process that you go through, like, is it painful? Like, does it take a lot out of you energetically? Uh, it can. It depends on what emotion you're trying to express or, you know, what emotions you're dealing with. Um, and I mean, like, in this episode, there's a lot of, like, fear and mm -hmm. a little bit of hope, but you got to, like, find that hope. And then there's vulnerability and those are all really difficult emotions to connect with for anyone whether you're trying to create something with it or you're just trying to like communicate with the people that you love so yeah I think it can be draining and it can be difficult to communicate those emotions which we see with with a lot of the characters interacting in this episode yeah and we also Get the most literary episode where we actually have a lot of books that are discussed. Like first, we have The Great Gatsby and this whole F. Scott Fitzgerald. So now we're in Justin's classroom. And oh, wait, that's right before. Well, I have to know, what did you think of Justin's mom, uh, Jennifer Taylor, finding his erotic sketchbook of like men in their butts and the locker room and very it, it looked like Tom of Finland. Kind of yeah, images, they were but... excellent drawings. That's impressive. Um, yeah. uh, what really struck me was Brian written over and over in like different block letters. I really identified with that because um, I've definitely done that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, no, me, me too. Actually, well, no, you go in your <laughs> fantasy realm how you had done that with like just men you were interested in or like people you were interested in. like. How did you identify with the block letters? No. So like when I was having my first experience, it was with a guy who was a little bit older and I was, you know, a little obsessed with him. And I would like write his his name in my notebook. So I definitely understand that like youthful mm -hmm. infatuation that like needs to be written down or documented. Because like even as, it's interesting because even as he's like looking around at other male bodies and like drawing that form, he's still like, you flip the page and it's like, nope, it's actually just about Brian. <laughs> yeah, well, and I love that those moments are shown because again, I'm sure there are uh, straight men who write down women's names or like, and I feel like we just don't see it in media a lot um, because it is vulnerable. Like, right, you being, I mean, some might think you're obsessed, but I think there's more to it. It's not an obsession. It's more a connection, right? I mean, I don't really do, I didn't really do the block letter writing, but like I would, you know, I'll put myself out there because that's what I do on the show anyway. Um, I have to give a lot um, for you to feel comfortable, Joe, but I'll take one for the team. No, I, so... I don't know if you've ever done this, but like with a lover or just someone you're really infatuated with, like as I'm going to sleep or I wake up, like I pretend that that lover's with me mm -hmm. and I'll say his name and like whisper it and just imagine that connection of them cuddling. Like I like to have that kind of fantasy. 
And I think we all create these romantic fantasies in our lives. So I love that you brought us to that, that Brian is just written over and over. And I mean, how do you think his mom is feeling in that moment when she sees the sketchbook? Because she loves that he's an artist, which I think is already unusual. Like, she loves that he's an artist, her son. Yeah, I think she, I don't think she's upset. I think that she is curious and she wants to handle it with care and she wants to uh, she wants to connect with her son and she wants to know what he's going through but also express that she has relatable experiences so I think when she first sees that she's just kind of like oh crap I have to deal with this but she wants she comes from a good place and she wants to deal with it the right way like it's not like a anger an angry place I don't think yeah no I agree she's very measured I feel like like you said she wants to investigate I feel like she's a detective in this episode um but do you have anything else to say before we head to the classroom where um I feel we're getting really in touch with homo erotic slash um awakenings the high school yeah. awakening yeah we should just get to the classroom because I mean as I was saying earlier about like the fantasy aspect or like these fantastical situations like being in the classroom and talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald and then what happens after that that for me totally at this point in the series felt totally in that realm so it, that's going to mm. be exciting to talk about yeah so the English teacher, they're all discussing the great Gatsby in this private school. Um, and Justin, of course, is drawing. And it's like another, now it's almost as if it's Michelangelo or Caravaggio, like the Renaissance buttocks and just muscular, the sinews of every muscle of the man. Um, and I mean, Justin is incredibly talented. Whoever did these drawings, uh, for Randy Harrison, who's the actor. But Daphne is like loving it. I just love Daphne's relationship with uh, Justin. But um, yeah, so the whole uh, theme is about yearning and not a coincidence with The Great Gatsby. And I mean, you being at the Merchant Marine Academy, that was like, who even knew that you're so fit for this episode because that was uh, West Egg, was supposed yeah. to be Great Neck. So there's um, a name yeah. right in the neighborhood. It's... Yeah, yeah. Oh, so there's a name, like Gatsby's a street or? Yeah, there's like a Great Gatsby house in Gatsby Lane and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, F. Scott Fitzgerald lived right in Great Neck. Like you can actually visit his house. I, I've taken students there on like a f um, field trip. Um. But yeah, um, and I'm sure the private owners, well, they probably, hopefully they knew that they bought F. Scott Fitzgerald's house. If not, you know, I'm only like just going around. It's a beautiful neighborhood. It's right near the train. Um, okay. But I think what's so interesting is that, of course, Justin's in a daydream state um, and then has to give the answer to what yearning means. And is like the teacher, I think, 
he thinks that he's going to punish Justin for catching him and talking. But Justin has this beautiful way of framing what yearning is. Like, do you remember, Joe, what Justin's response is? Yeah, it's when you want something so bad it hurts. Yeah. That's I mean, do you think that's a good definition? Um, well, as a poet, I do actually yearn quite a bit. Um, so when you're talking about trying to connect with emotions that are painful to write down, most of that for me has been yearning. So I agree that um, when you want something so bad it hurts, that is a, a pretty good definition of yearning, but there's other ones. But I agree. I think it's a good a good assessment. Well, and like, what do you think they're talking about in The Great Gatsby? Like, who's yearning for who in this moment? In The Great Gatsby or in the show? Well, no, in The Great Gatsby, like, do you think that it's just the um, standard lesson about the green light and Jay yearning for Daisy? And, um, you know, we're about to have a musical on Broadway probably soon. So the Great Gatsby, I have a Great Gatsby bag, like a handmade bag that I got in a farmer's market in the Hudson River Valley, well, in Terrytown. Um, I can't wait to bring it out. I'm like more, I'm a huge Great Gatsby fan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting, I find what they're doing here. Or is it Nick? Is it Nick yearning for Jay? And is it the homoerotic interpretation that, I mean, I feel like there's a lot going on. I think it boils down to in the, in the, is it Boz Lerman, his movie, the, the song by Lana that, that that's used in there. Oh, yeah. um, Will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful? I th I think it's kind of like longing for this, again, like this fantastic fantasy-based idea of this like male connection mm -hmm. of like pure pleasure and being able to make that a reality when even just for a moment, when even afterwards you're going to return to the real world and it's not going to be there anymore. And Justin sitting there like longing for this football player, yearning for him, sorry, difference, yearning, not longing, and wants to have this moment of connection with him that the structures of the school and the whatever society say like they can't have. Mm -hmm. um, but it's more, of, I, I think he's yearning more for the idea because he's not yearning for this actual person. He's yearning for the idea of this person. If he's yearning for a person, he's yearning for Brian, but he has Brian. So it's like, in addition to having Brian, he's just longing and wanting this connection with the people around him. Mm. Uh, that's what I think it's about. And like, there's lust and there's other emotions mixed in. But I think what Justin really wants in this scene is to like tap into this idea of what it means to have this camaraderie and this like young youthful male connection. Yeah, well, and Chris Hobbs uh, is accused of having a testosterone outburst, which I don't think I've ever heard a teacher say that, which is just an interesting phrase. Um, <laughs> but Chris, like when he hears Justin's, the way that that actor looks at Justin, I thought did a great job in like hearing the definition of yearning. So then what does the football player do? do 
what does he do? But he touches his friend, who's another guy, as if that's a physical symptom of yearning is like to touch each other. I, I was like, oh, they're really playing around with the football players, like almost slapping each other on the ass, but not because they're in the classroom setting. Um, mm -hmm. But I do. I kind of want to follow up because I think what you're saying, Joe, is so evocative of. Like, can Justin be yearning both for Brian and for the football player in this moment? Because I kind of saw it as both. Like, I see what you're saying of the fantasy of a football player, but like yearning for Brian to actually accept him as a boyfriend, which Brian is still refusing to like identify their relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, but is that longing? Because like you said, there's a difference. And I'm like curious, what is the difference you think between longing and yearning? Longing doesn't have to hurt. Yearning is when it hurts. <laughs> Do you think Justin is hurt by Brian yet? No, I think that he's gotten everything that he wants from Brian. Yeah, that's and true. He has no expect. He expects, as he says later, he expects to get treated a certain way by Brian and receive certain attention. And I think he, up to this point, has gotten everything that he wants from Brian. Yeah. So you think Brian is facing more of a crisis in his relationship with Justin than Justin's facing a crisis? Because this is Justin's first love, really, is Brian. Like, yeah. Brian's been with a lot of guys. Um, and things are changing for him with Justin in how he identifies. Um, huh. Interesting. Okay. You're helping me. This is why I love these conversations, Joe. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what's happening here. Um, but okay. Well, so Chris Hobbs, we have to get back to that. First, like you at the Merchant Marine Academy, did you see a lot of male, male touch, like sanctioned touch? Like, was there a lot of that kind of camaraderie, like just slapping each other on the shoulder, like hugging each other? Like, was that, was touch a big part? Of bonding? I mean, definitely within some of the sports teams. So, mm -hmm. like, Tanks Point has, like, a big rugby team, which there's a lot of touch going on there. Um, yeah, I'm not really too sure, because I wasn't really a part of that. I didn't really have that much um, of that aspect with other, like, with male midshipmen when I was a midshipman. Um, I, me, I was much more of the yearner. So my closest male friend, when I started there, I would just go to his room and like lay on his dresser and just like be really dramatic, melodramatic and like yearning and stuff. And then he ended up leaving the school and I saw him a few years later when me and my other friend, Diane, drove there to go to Hershey Park where he lived. And it like came as news to him that I was queer. Like he didn't, he had no expectation of me being queer, which I thought everyone just assumed that I came across that way. So it was interesting for me to have this like experience where I would be like laying in somebody's room, like longing for them and having this like intense emotional experience with them. And then they would like not just assume that I was straight. Um, but I, I had less of like a, a touch and feel. I'm not a very physical person with most people. Um, so I didn't have that experience, but 
I'm sure many other people did. I just wasn't privy to it. <laughs> yeah. See, I feel like with my male friends, it's always like I'm a hugger, but like there's the fist bump. There's like the hug on with the shoulder, like, and you just slap their shoulder. Like, I do mm -hmm. think there's a lot of different ways of like touching your male friends because you're not quite sure what's going to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. We're like, when I'm with my girlfriends will hug all the time usually so um but yeah i mean let's get right to the scene which is we get um i mean i know that brian becomes ted's benefactor of his estate which it's going to come up again so we can touch it upon that then but we get the infamous i think one of the most iconic scenes in queer as folk is this moment where justin decides to after do the after school detention on his own. Like he's like, yeah, I'll do after school detention without even being asked to with Chris Hobbs. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. Um, and like Chris is actually really like we already were teed up for it. Chris looks at Justin in a really admiring way in their classroom. But what do you think of the story that Chris is revealing to uh Justin? like to kind of break the ice with him i mean it reminded me of what i mean i've never heard a story like i mean i've heard a few stories like that from people like at, in male environments but like it reminded me of like locker room talk mm -hmm. and like how straight or straight identifying men like maybe are able to share these kinds of like maybe even like exaggerated sexual encounters as a way of like connecting with each other mm -hmm. um that's what it made me think of how about you yeah no i agree i mean um well first he's like oh you wouldn't believe that this girl at this high school um well like i'll just say it um even though i don't know this fictional girl and I would never call her this but he's like oh yeah she was a whore and I'm like and then Justin as like I brought up on every episode Joe the way that Justin sees lesbian women um or just sees queer women um the way queer women are viewed in this show there's always a pejorative used with the men and it's like oh I thought she was a dyke and uh Chris says no 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 she's a whore I don't know. There's something really interesting. But again, like you said, are they putting down a woman who is free with her sexuality? Like they're putting her down to get closer together. Because mm -hmm. it seems like that's what they're doing to try to bond. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, do you like you said, you, you call that locker room talk. I agree. Like it's there is a lot of conversations I've heard when it's like, you know, mostly a male identifying group where they will put down women, even though they don't like personally, a lot of them don't believe in putting down women, but they do like they'll put down a woman sexually to score brownie points. Like, is that what Chris is doing? Maybe, but also like, if you think about the beginning of the episode where the queer men are sitting around in their in one of their spaces in the queer diner and they're talking about their sexual encounters 
in kind of a similar exaggerated way, but they're not putting anyone down. So That's I don't know. True. There's a difference. It's kind of like a mirror where it's kind of like there's this more violent edge to the way that Chris Hobbs is talking about it than the way these adult queer men, again, because yeah. this is a child who is not mature and that plays a role too. And then it, you know, it's kind of scary, but that comes Yeah, well, me. no, but do you think that's also because Chris is, he's trying to prove himself to Justin or any guy he talks to? Like, oh, of course I had sex with her. Like, as if they would question him. Like these adult queer men, they're not questioning how much sex each other is having. Like, it's kind of more scandalous story after scandalous story, but not like, wait, how many notches do you have on your bedpost? Like, that's not, I mean, of course they might do it eventually in the series. I'm sure they will. But um, like, then we get Chris actually talking about how this, um, girl came over to his house mm -hmm. and how she responded when he told her what it, oh, a journalist. She's a journalist for the school newspaper and she came to his house, which doesn't seem unethical at all um, to be a journalist to go over to someone's house in high school. Um, it sounds like Mean Girls. Remember, have you seen Mean Girls? Yeah. Okay. You remember when Katie is tutoring Aaron in, I think it's his house. But like that's when the kiss happens and he's dating Regina at that time. Um, it reminds me of like a scene like that. Mm -hmm. um, but right. How does what did you think of how Chris responds when he asks him what a touchdown is like? It was it was like such a vintage way of thinking about American football, like because he scored a touchdown. Like then she's sexually interested in him. Well, and then he gets hard. Wait, so that's where I'm just like trying to unpack this, Joe. Does she? Does he get hard because he scored a touchdown or because he's with this female journalist? I don't know. Like that, all of that kind of happened in like one sentence. He was just like, I tell her what a touchdown is like. And then he starts talking about her rings and stuff. But I don't know. I don't know why anyone does anything. I don't know what's causing him to feel that arousal, but I think Justin is what is making him feel something in that moment because it was a pretty intense scene to be watching, a little graphic, but. Yeah, well, so what's the graphic part? Just like how Justin, well, that's where I'm like, is Chris, I think we are led to believe, is Chris, did this even happen? Like this could just be a fake concocted story for Chris to experience this with Justin. Like, hey, I'm going to create a fantasy in my head about what a high school girl would do in my house. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get hard. And then Justin like just says, oh, you're hard. And Chris well, doesn't even respond. <laughs> well, the like the story is kind of like, and I got all worked up and then she had to leave. And then Justin's like, well, I'm here. And... I have a B for Brian on my hand. What would Brian do? And he's able to give this attention to this classmate that he can't get anywhere else, but that he desperately wants, that he's yearning for this connection. And Justin's able to give that to him 
but then and then it's over but then as soon as it's over it's like interrupted by this authority figure mm. which I, when i i was just re-watching it this morning and i was like what if that authority figure hadn't come in right at that moment like how would that change the way that this one scene impacts the rest of the series like if that authority figure hadn't come in right at that one time mm. and well this, you're yeah yeah if chris hobbs was able to just experience this like connection with justin and this like queer pleasure if he was able to just experience that without immediately having to feel shame and having that shame connected to this moment like how different that would be for this character oh so you saw the teacher interrupting as a metaphor for Chris's shame that's going to start to permeate throughout the series like that he's not able to synthesize the moment like talk through it with Justin well not even talk through it it's not even a metaphor just like imagine you're doing this illicit thing that feels good and then immediately there's shame attached to it and then that's your first time experiencing something like that you're never going to be, it's going to take a lot of undoing that shame, which there's no incentive for Chris Hobbs to do that. He's just going to absorb the shame and leave it at that. And then have this negative feeling attached to what could have been a really beautiful thing forever. Cause he's not going to do it. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I am so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities, mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about what happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture. In the spring, I had on Drs. Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts. And then in the winter, I had on Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Weinstock. He talked about analyzing pop culture. Yes, I even sneak in some Real Housewives questions. And how to teach composition and make it fun. He uses this whole metaphor about being a mad scientist in this gothic lab. And in the fall, I had on Dr. Ann Stevens, and she talked about literary theory and criticism. And yes, the university season is upon us. So what better way to talk about the college classroom than to actually understand what is literary theory? That's a wonderful episode for all of you out there who teach literary studies. I love Broadview Press. Make sure you use their exclusive code. It's Ivory Tower on broadviewpress.com. You get 20% off all, all Broadview Press publications. Okay, until the next Broadview Press interview. And now back to the Ivory Tower boiler room. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? 
or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, in addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I've had a few of these moments um, with like, I don't know if they still identify as straight, but with men who identified as straight and like, when you're on Justin's side, like a lot, I think a lot of us who are in the queer male community have probably had a moment like this where you're identifying with someone who hasn't experienced, like you've said, queer pleasure. And it's that straight male fantasy, right? It's like, there's so many porn categories about this with like the gay man who seduces the straight man or like the straight man isn't getting attention from a woman so like you said like the story leaves off without a climax and the ejaculation doesn't happen it's like okay justin's gonna be the substitute um but i've also felt where a straight man was playing up being interested and then nothing ever physically happened and it that mm -hmm. angst like that to me is yearning it's like the yearning that never comes with a climax so like mm -hmm. justin did experience he did give Chris a climax and an ejaculation, but you're right. There's now shame that Chris is, he's really going to battle with. Um, and I don't want to spoil it, but things get really um, heightened and violent soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know we're going to move from this scene, but I do think, would you agree that this is probably the most pivotal scene in terms of setting us up for the future of the show. Like, I guess with Justin's storyline. Yeah, I think so. I think definitely because it has repercussions. I'm me and my uh, boyfriend have been watching. So we are well, we are very many seasons in. So yeah. I think this scene definitely sets up a lot of storylines that keep coming. So it's a really important scene. Yeah. Um, do you want to say anything about straight men who you seduced, Jeff? I don't seduce anyone. People people do what they want with their own imaginations. I'm not out here seducing, misleading. I'm not doing anything. People do that to themselves. That's all I got to say about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've never misled anyone. But yeah, if a straight man wanted to kiss me and make out that's his prerogative but again i do have to say like from the queer experience 
right? I'm sure you've heard so many stories of like heartbreak, like sometimes thinking there could be more of a possibility, mm-hmm. but you know, that man was just curious. Like it's okay to just be curious, but sometimes we long for more of a relationship and a relationship wasn't going to happen romantically. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I'm I'm pretty quick to the draw. As soon as it's appropriate for me to be asking certain questions, I ask them straight up and then it becomes clear pretty pretty quickly what people are interested in and then I'm just moving on. So yeah, that's how we no. these these uh, straight identifying men who behave certain ways with me. I find out real quick and I let it go. That's not my job. Been there done that. I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I have definitely moved on from the Andrew who was an undergrad. Like when I was an undergrad, 2012, like when you're watching this, I was also an undergrad. And like I experienced something with a friend who like brought me to his dorm. And then, um, you know, I'll be very anonymous about it. But let's just say he showed me his penis pump. And then like, again, did kind of a Chris Hobbs turn where he like told me about how he seduced a woman, but she didn't please him. And then I was like, oh, this is my chance. Like, I don't even know if I saw this scene from Queer as Folk, but we see it a lot. This kind of the straight and then the gay man, like ready to take the lead. And um, what was frustrating though, is that I never actually had a physical moment. Like I was like, oh, this is my chance. And then, you know, he was afraid, like he was curious, but he didn't want to physically do something. And I mean, you, you know, I did see no. this YouTube video about this very subject. It was from like a gay YouTuber who like, I don't remember what his name was, but it's like kind of like what Davey Wavy used to do. Like kind oh, yeah. of like, tutorials uh, but also like so the way to behave in like bathhouses or like how to handle a straight man who you want to hook up with that you think um is curious and the piece of advice from this video I watched was like you got to take it slow you can't force anything you can't bring it up and I'm like okay that's too much work I'm just gonna go home (laughs) I will not be doing any of that that's I'm not hand holding here Yeah. Well, and what I learned from that experience was like the pain, like what I was feeling as pain emotionally was not worth me continuing to be around a person like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Like to be clear with him and just say, this is how I feel. And I just can't continue you flirting with me like this. And he's like, but I love to flirt with my gay guys. He's like, I love having gay guy friends to flirt with. And I'm like, yeah, but it felt like I was being led on and mm-hmm. I had to create a boundary. So that's why I'm just so open and authentic with my straight guy friends. And I'm like, I am who I am and we're going to like have a conversation. Um, and I don't try to look for things sexually with them. Um, yeah. You know, I have my queer male community for things like that. Okay. So <laughs> moving from that experience. Um, but like, you know, as we're nearing the end, we have another steam room scene. I feel like the steam room is always mm-hmm. like that's their um, uh, cafe of sorts. Like when they're not in the diner, they're actually in the steam room and there's always going to be some kind of male nudity in the steam room. Like always a nice butt. 
Um, and, you know, do you feel like this is actually an accurate representation, the way that Brian gathers with Michael always in the steam room? Um... I, I don't know. I don't know if they're always in the steam room, though, because they're in the gym. They go to the gym together and then they go in the steam room afterwards. I think it's just coincidental. But I so the gym that I go to or that I used to go to has a steam room and I usually go there by myself. But sometimes I've like met a friend in there and we started chatting. But I mostly sit there and observe like the straight tech bros that that come through Um and it's interesting to watch them interact, not like in a creepy sexual way, but like yeah. to watch them like talk about these straight dude things. I'm like, wow. And I'm just like sitting in the corner, like sweating. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, so I do, I mean, yeah, like the steam room is definitely a gathering place for many men. And um, I don't really go to like, I mean, there's a lot of queer people that go to that gym. Um, so I could definitely see that as a realistic representation of like where people just naturally congregate um, in a group setting. Um, and it definitely doesn't hurt that that steam room in the show is really big and there's lots of people in it. <laughs> yeah, well, and I feel like it's still part of our fantasy world because even if you're in the most like queer community um demogra uh, queer demographic mm -hmm. i still feel like the way that they're so free sexually is not like and it's not a realistic representation of just like oh yeah he's hooking up with him in the steam room that's happening mm -hmm. like you said even in seattle there's going to be the straight tech bros like they're probably gonna have their eyebrows raised um if that happens in the steam room but you know this is our like fantastic world of the steam room uh so actually somebody once brought me to a a spa like a a a spa with all these baths and with um different steam rooms and stuff so that was an interesting experience because it was like everyone was completely nude but it was like not that kind of stuff going on. It was just like a medicinal spa. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but we it's have definitely an exciting environment. Yeah, we have them in New York City. But I was gonna say, like, the only time I felt this charged, like where the like male homoeroticism is that apparent, is when I'm on Fire Island. Like, I think it's the closest I can figure out a community that would operate in this kind of where you're having such a um heart to heart discussion but then there's also just guys hooking up um and we even get that in babylon it's like they're having their everyday life conversations of obstacles and then they're like oh yeah i'm just gonna go to the back and um but yeah so the spot you're talking about that kind of experience is so amazing for self-care like that's why i love going to the Atlantic City spas or New York City has some great spas. Yeah, spa culture is wonderful. Okay, um, so like as we get to the end, Mrs. Taylor, um, you know, he is going through, um, he doesn't understand, I wrote, how 
her son, like she can tell her son is changing. Like Justin is starting to speak um, bluntly to her. He's kind of adamant about, um, you know, not doing activities with them. Um, and then we get that car scene. Like, how did you feel when she actually bluntly says, oh, and do you have any boyfriend, Justin, as he's driving her? Mm, I don't know. I It was kind of leading up to it. And I mean, I think as the viewer, we kind of expected that. I think it blindsided Justin. Um, so I don't know. I was just like, what's going to happen? And then he just completely ran away, which I was like, okay, that makes sense. But um, yeah. it kind of was, I don't know. I don't think it was that intense. Were you? What did you feel when that was happening? Yeah, I, I agree. I felt like what was more intense was... Um, when he is desperately banging on or ringing Brian's doorbell with Daphne. And like, I really think he thinks Brian, like, do you think he realistically believes that Brian is going to take him in? Like in I that think... state of mind. Oh, so you think he does think Brian is going to save him from his childhood yeah. home? A hundred percent. I, like I said earlier, Brian has given him everything that he could dream of and that he's wanted. And he 100% expects Brian to just take him in. Yeah. And is he wrong? We haven't seen yet, but I don't know. We'll see what Brian is able to do for Justin. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good cliffhanger. Um, So, yeah, the last thing I feel, well, there's a dildo fight in Ted's apartment, which we don't have to get into analytically, but I felt like it was just a a zany fight with um some humor, even though Ted's in a coma, they're able to fight, do a sword fight with his dildos. I don't know. That was an interesting moment. Um, so yeah, what was like something else, Joe? That like you just you like had to speak about about the episode like you either wrote down or just um was on your mind that we haven't covered i it was something that brian said hmm. when he was over we haven't talked about ted being literally in a coma at all <laughs> yeah so yeah what is like um so ted is in a coma happening? And he gives Brian, like, the dis he puts in his living will that Brian is the one who's going to either pull the plug or not. And Brian's like, what the hell? Why would I be the one to do this? I don't want to do this. So he he's kind of gone on this journey where he's like, what is my obligation? He asked Lindsay, like, how do we know we're alive? And she's like, maybe we know from what people expect from us. And it's mm -hmm. like, we have to give people things and we have to take care of them. And that's how we know that we are like really alive. So Brian goes back to the hospital and he's like over Ted's comatose body. And he's like, yes, I'll do it. I'll give you what you want and what you need. Which I think for Brian to say that, even in like the most sarcastic tone is like a pivotal moment for him. Cause he's like recognizing that he needs to give, that he's responsible and he's able to give these things to people that he cares about. And that's how he, ex that's how you express that care is by giving people what they need, even when you don't want to do it and, and showing up. 
And then, you know, then he brings Ted back to life. <laughs> yeah, he brings Ted back to life by having sex with a nurse in the next bed. Yeah, nosy Ted has to open his eyes, obviously. He's like, wait, I'm not going to miss this. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme Cracking the Closet. So, starting in the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Hi, everyone. Happy almost holiday season. Because the holidays are upon us, I'm sure so many of you out there are thinking, oh my, what am I going to get my friends, my family, my children, my romantic partner, my husband, my wife, any you know, significant person in your life? Look no further than my good friend, Mandy Bengal, who makes handmade crocheted items. Her company is called Mandy Made It. You can follow her on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And you will see all of these crocheted items that she's going to be able to customize for you, including special characters, sports team figures, even holiday items like a snowflake or a Christmas tree. So I have Mandy's keychains. I have the poison apple from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I have a rainbow. Um flag that she made me. So Mandy is able to really customize an order just depending on what your hobbies and passions are and, you know, what item you're really looking for. So because you're listening to me talk about Mandy, she said that anyone who goes to Mandy Made It on Instagram and orders from her and they've heard 
the Ivory Tower Boiler Room ad, she will give you all a free Ivory Tower Boiler Room t-shirt with your order. So head right now to Mandy Made It. You know, if you were really looking for that special gift, now you don't have to look any further because I have you covered with Mandy Made It. Okay, I hope you all enjoy your items from Mandy Made It. And please make sure that you take a photo of your crocheted item so that we can share it out on our social media. I know Mandy would love that, and I would love to see what you all are ordering from her. She even has an adorable pillow called Netflix and Chill, and she has these cute coasters that she crochets for your favorite coffee or tea mug. So enjoy all your Mandy Made It products. And then he says, Ted says, Jesus, under his breath. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, Jesus. But, well, but you're right. That is such an important. Brian is so heartfelt. Like, I agree with you. He, like, really um, has a transition when he says that with um, Ted. Like, also seeing that there's a person outside of his own body. Like, mm-hmm. that he can't only think about his own survival, right? Like, I always think we're supposed to believe Brian is so narcissistic, but I feel like his mask keeps lowering. Like, I never really see him as narcissistic. I just see him as in protection mode because there's a lot to his past that we don't know about yet. And, um, like, I just remember Brian's look in his eyes when he says what you just read or, yeah, recited about looking out for Ted's hair. Then he looks to sex. Again, I feel like he then is trying to solve the crises that he's going through. And then like the male body for him is a way as an outlet. Like, I don't know. Is that what we're supposed to think with this nurse is, oh, okay, I'm going to have sex because I know how to do that emotionally. Maybe, or I mean, when the universe gives you lemons, you make lemonade, there's a big lemon right behind him. That was kind of a jump scare though. Imagine you're like, okay, I'm really considering life or death. And then it's just like hunky nurse is like over your shoulder. Yeah, it looked like a ghost. You're right. I would- Could have been a horror movie. Yeah, like to totally do that. I don't know. I don't know if Pittsburgh is that queer or at this time, like to in a mainstream hospital. Back to the fantasy, almost unbelievable aspect of it. But good for Brian. Yeah, well, I said Pittsburgh is kind of just used as this mecca of queer community. Like, I don't even think we're really supposed to put like our eggs in Pittsburgh's basket. Like, that's not really... (laughs) Uh, the realistic element here, um, like you said. So, okay. And then how about our like final scene, which is, well, it's not our final, final scene, but like our last major moment is Justin goes to Debbie's house and Michael's house mm-hmm. um, to look for community. And again, Michael is so, as if he's a petulant teenager, he's so upset that Justin is in his his house, even though like it's his mom's house. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, with his also gay uncle. 
which becomes a really important figure as the season goes along. Yeah. What is Justin looking for? Like, do you think it's selfish of him to go to Michael's house? No. I think, well, what's he looking for? He's looking for Brian and Brian didn't answer his door. So he's like, okay, how can I get a lead on where Brian is? So that's why he's going there, supposedly. But I think it is interesting. You pointed out at the beginning, like there's that through line of mothers in this episode. Um, So he goes to like a mother figure mm-hmm. and a home. I think there's a lot of, different homes so like when ted's mom goes to his home and that needs to be cleaned up or justin at his home with his mother and with his father who is not so supportive and then he goes to this other home this like surrogate home and then he ends up in michael's like childhood bedroom so he's i it's interesting that you said he's like looking for community because he's looking for support he's looking for some sort of home environment where he can feel safe yeah and of course when brian comes to the house he hooks up with justin um and then michael is so angry at brian for hooking up in his bedroom like Mm -hmm. do you think that michael do you or uh brian has this look in his face once he's accused of hooking up with justin and like being scolded at by Michael. Do you think Brian really knows how in love Michael is with him in this moment? Like that this is the source of Michael's jealousy in a way? I mean, I thought it was interesting that it hones in on the pictures that Ted has of Michael in his condo. And then right when Justin goes into Michael's bedroom, the first thing that he hones in on is a picture of Michael and Brian. So it's kind of like set up to be a similar scenario where it's like this, this care, this like special friendship that I don't know if it, I think it doesn't need to be like a romantic thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's just like a very special friendship and this camaraderie and I think Brian does know. I think what's very special about their relationship is that they are on the same page. And then everyone else around them like makes assumptions that like, oh, Michael wants this from Brian, blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's true at times. But I think at the end of the day, Michael and Brian are on the same page about their special friendship. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe like Justin coming in might be seen as a threat at this time. But I think Brian is 100% aware. Yeah. Well, but you're so right. There's another um, visual um, through line happening with the queer men. Brian, we're back to the sketchbook, like continuing to write Justin's name. I mean, Justin's sketchbook, Justin continuing to write Brian's name and his, the yearning, right? There's like, I mean, longing and yearning. I think you're so right to say, like, I think we're getting a mix of both um feelings happening but we have that reverberation we have michael encountering ted having all these photos of michael and there's a longing there and then we have um michael with brian's photos the only one we don't have yet a visual of is who is brian yearning for 
And I'm not sure. Does Brian, <laughs> that's the question. Does Brian yearn? Does Brian yearn? Uh, I feel like that's a good ending <laughs> for our next, what's going to happen in the next episode. Um, but, you know, also Debbie gives her P flag advice to Jennifer and we'll see what Jennifer Taylor does with that advice. Um, it seems like she's not on the same page as her husband. Um, Justin's father is going to be a, you know, go through a more dramatic process. Maybe not dramatic. That's not the right word. But he has a different response to the news as the season goes on. Um, so, Joe, wow. I feel like we covered a lot in the episode. There was a lot there. Um, and, you know, how are you feeling revisiting Queer as Folk? Like, I love that you're watching this with your boyfriend. Like, you know, what's one response you and your boyfriend keep having as you see each episode? Um... shock awe no but i have a i've been having a lot of emotional reactions so obviously it like deals with a lot of pretty sensitive subjects and like even more universal themes like death and family and change um and like different dynamics mm -hmm. between different types of people so i've been like some episodes make me like get really angry. Some episodes make me cry. I don't know. It's really fun, but it's interesting because my boyfriend had brought the show up like a few, like before I we'd started rewatching it. And I was like talking about like going out or something. And he's like, you can't do that. I know what happens to guys like you. I've seen Queer as Folk, and I just thought that was so funny. I texted my friend immediately. I was like, Charles just said this. But um, it's just interesting that after he said that, now we're, like, re-watching it. Because, um, I don't know, it's interesting because it does t touch on different aspects of, like, queer nightlife. Um, and I've had people say to me, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be an out gay man because being gay is all about like partying and doing drugs. And like, that's not what my life is about, um, which the show does explore certain aspects of that. But at the same time, it explores like the normal parts of queer life and like the normal struggles that are universal to everybody that queer people obviously go through as well. Um, so it's just exciting to get that opportunity because I mean, like I identify with like the nightlife scenes too. But um, like it does, it goes into a lot of different things. So it's really exciting. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun rewatch. And like the infatuation crush, the crushing to me, like this episode brought me back to my notebooks and mm -hmm. the awakening of just, right. You can feel Justin's heightened state as a teenager. Like, oh yeah, that's what it was like when I was with my first you know, sexual encounter or wow, I thought this was going to be my partner forever. I mean, it is, it is emotional. And like, that's why, you know, so many will ask me, oh, do you feel that this show is still relatable, you know, or is it problematic? But I feel like you, it could be both. Like, like I said, it has slang words for queer women, which 
is just of its time. And you're like, huh? Like, why are they seeing women this way? There's something misogynistic happening. But at the same time, the emotional depth is still, of course, palpable. Like we feel this in our current lives. I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's why I was so excited to bring you on, Joe, because I knew you were going to have a certain take poetically about yearning and you did not disappoint. You're having me now think about what's longing, what's yearning, what's going on existentially in my life. Um, yeah. And but, to this, yeah. I, I have I have a Brian in mind, so I'm I still exercise my yearning. It's a practice. You got to you got to do your abdominal crunches, get that longing in. It's important yeah. think about your yeah. personal Brian. Yeah, I will think about that on my walk outside today. Like my who my Brian is. Uh, who is your Brian? Do you know? Do I know who my Brian is? Like when you watch Queer as Folk, do you have like a like a specific person or like a few people in mind that you're like, that's my Brian Kinney? Yeah, well, like when I was an un was when I was um a teen. Like when I had come out, like there was definitely more of that yearning. Um, and when I was in college, there was the one who got away from me. But mm -hmm. I'm actually now like reconnecting to some men who I um, I was friends with them, but had such um, tense emotions around them when I was younger. And it's interesting coming back, talking with them now, because... I feel I can see how much I've grown. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't necessarily feel the heavy heartbeat when I was around them the same way, but I do feel that I'm looking now for more stability. Like I'm looking now at my life for groundedness with men and like entering a new phase. Like I feel like I'm in a huge transition right now, romantically, Joe. So like the show is really exciting to rewatch because it feels very different as a register when I'm in my 30s, like early 30s. And I'm like, huh, I think I'm looking for a long-term relationship. And even mm -hmm. though I do like hooking up is exciting, but it's a different, you know, what Brian is going through. I feel like now I'm more into Michael's state of mind. Like mm -hmm. I identify now more with Michael, okay. even though I used to think I was wanting Brian's life. Like I do enjoy Brian's life, but I think I'm a mix of Brian and Michael, but hopefully I'm like more nuanced with Michael's yeah. <laughs> thinking. Um, but yeah, Joe, where can everyone follow you again? Just to make sure they're all on your Instagram. Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. And um, my main one is Rafflecopter McGee. That's where I post like poetry things. And um, yeah, you can find me there. Oh, and TikTok, right? Yeah, I'm on TikTok as Joe Nasta. And then uh, my zine is Stone Pacific Zine. Uh, we just put out an issue, issue 11. And there's Ooh. a new one coming out um, in December. So, Oh, good. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. Everyone can find it. Yeah. Um, so exciting. Well, Joe, this has been wonderful. You know, tell your boyfriend hi from me. Uh, and that I hope you keep enjoying the show. Um, and hopefully you're not like, why did we get invested with this show that Andrew has recommended? Um, no, 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 I don't think anyone. It, it's great because, yeah, it's been great. So thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Um, of course. 
Karen queers folk getting people excited about it. It's good. It's yeah. Maybe it's spicing up sex lives. Who knows? I think it uh, is. You didn't hear it from me, but maybe it is. <laughs> oh, as long as you don't get a beach parasite, because that sounds really scary. Um, mm. I'm going to have nightmares about it. Okay, well, thanks, Joe. And bye to everyone out there. I can't wait to be back on with the next guest and getting into episode five. It's like moving quickly. Okay, this has been great, Joe. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. I want to thank you so much for listening to the ITBR and TCIA episodes. Make sure if you don't, Follow, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you follow ITBR on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and TCIA on TikTok and Instagram at True Crime and Academia. Also, we have a brand new Patreon membership system. So I just want to explain it to you all quickly. So if you want to become an ITBR student, it is $5 a month. You get ad-free ITBR and TCIA episodes and video interviews. If you want to become an ITBR professor for $10 a month, you get all of those ad-free benefits, but you also get access to both the ITBR and TCIA book clubs. You can join both book clubs, get ad-free episodes, plus you're going to get all of our extra video episodes. So I am re-watching Queer as Folk. Christian Garcia from That Old Gay Classic Cinema is joining us, and he's re-watching Smash. Um, Mary is going to start to re-watch shows as well. You even get access to what I'm calling the ITBR teaches. So if I'm recapping a movie or a TV show, including Barbie, um, Halloween movies and horror films, you get access to that as well. And then I also am offering consultation services. So for $30, you get your first initial consultation with me. It's a one hour private Zoom. I will help create a, your podcast, your media brand. How do you navigate academia as an undergrad or a grad student? Do you need help with technology? It could be teaching tools, Spotify for podcasters, video editor so software. Do you want to expand your social media presence as an artist, writer, podcaster, or academic? Do you want help on how to create a public humanities identity like I've created for myself? So I now I'm offering that consultation service. You can find more info about it on Patreon. And you also can join our book clubs. If you want to just join the ITBR book club or the TCIA book club, you can do that for $4 a month patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash ivory tower boiler room thanks to the team mary de pippi our chief contributor and thank you to our two new interns from stony brook university jonathan and sarah bye everyone until next time